What's up, everybody? I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. And today we are interviewing someone who I greatly admire. Um, as a future pastor, whenever I have to preach a sermon, I always check with this guy to see what he has to say about a particular text. He's very smart, and he is actually known for a topic that we are discussing today. See, we just discussed First Corinthians. And there's a topic that's very controversial in the Christian community, and that's the topic of spiritual gifts. They are really two sides of the fence. They are sensationists, and they are people who believe that there are certain gifts that have continued, right, till this day, that they are still active and like people can still speak in tongues, people can still have the gift of prophecy, people can still have the gift of healing. So there are two camps there. And Dr. Tom Schreiner is going to discuss cessationism for today's episode. And he's going to educate us as to what exactly that means and what those who hold to that view would believe. Yeah, so Dr. Schreiner is just a legend theologically, and we're so excited to have him on. Uh, So a little bit about him. He's an American New Testament scholar. He's the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He previously taught at Bethel Theological Seminary and Azusa Pacific University. He is also co-chairman of the Christian Standards Bible's Translation Oversight Committee and is the New Testament editor of the ESV Study Bible. That's huge. That is That's huge. amazing. Yeah. That's one of the greatest study study Bibles, maybe the greatest. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Schreiner has degrees from Western Oregon University, Western Seminary, and Fuller Theological Seminary. He has written commentaries on Romans, Hebrews, First and Second Peter, and Jude. In twenty fourteen, he served as president of the Evangelical Theological Society. From two thousand one to twenty fifteen, Schreiner served as the pastor of preaching at Clifton Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He currently serves as an elder at Clifton. And also his son Patrick is a New Testament scholar teaching at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, he's pretty cool too. Anyways, uh, we are really excited. As we alluded to many times, Tom Schreiner is just, we were just thrilled when he agreed to do an interview with us because we look up to him so much. He's such a legend in the theological world. So we hope that you guys enjoy what he has to say today about cessationism. Bible dingers. Okay, so um, I'm really excited. I have composed myself right now. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've been watching you for years. Every time I preach, because I'm a I'm a pastor in training, um, so I'm in seminary, and uh, my church is going through Romans. Mm. Um, so any time that I'm asked to preach, the first guy that I go to, and I'm not exaggerating, is you, because you have the entire book of Romans on your church's website. 
So, you know, I know a lot of pastors say, oh, nobody listens to that stuff, but we have to have it up anyway, or whatever the case may be. Someone is listening to you. That's me. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So uh, let's dive in here. First of all, I want to thank you for being on the show. And I want to thank you for taking on this tough tough topic. And we're going to start with question one. Can you give us a basic overview of cessationism and some of its basic supporting arguments? Yeah, I mean, cessationism, I mean, we started at the beginning. Cessationism means that some of the spiritual gifts have ceased, that they, they no longer are in uh, operation. So I, I think it's fair to say that was the view of the reformers and really the majority of the Protestant church until the 20th century when the charismatic movement depending on how many waves you see, one, two, or three, or four. I mean, most people say three. But I, I think um, the, main, the main argument for cessationism, just to put it simply, is do we have continuing revelation? Do we have, uh, do we have uh, continuing words of the Lord that have the same kind of authority that you find in the scriptures? So... I think cessationists have said clearly there's no more apostles, at least not in the technical sense. Of course, you know, you have missionaries today. If you want to use apostle, apostle just means someone who's sent. Of course, we have missionaries, but we have no one like the uh, the original apostles that were commissioned to lay the foundation of the church. So that's a key verse for me, Ephesians 2.20. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And, and the second thing I'd say there is, uh, so I would argue, look, there's not, there's not apostles today. And then the second thing I'd say is the prophets there clearly refers to New Testament prophets in context, not Old Testament prophets. Notice the order of the word. Uh, the church is, set, uh, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And actually, if you have any doubt, listener, that we're Talking about New Testament prophets, I won't do this right now, but just flip over to Ephesians 3, 5. Just go a few verses down the road. It's really clear he's talking about a revelation that has been communicated in the new covenant to the apostles and prophets. Well, my my argument is, look, the foundation has been laid by infallible apostles and infallible and uh, prophets. And so... There are no apostles and prophets today. We don't, we don't need any infallible, inerrant words from God. We have those words in the New Testament. So we don't, we don't need any new revelation. We don't have any new revelation. That is, by new revelation, I mean authoritative, infallible, inerrant revelation. We don't have that anymore. We don't need that anymore because we have the scriptures. The scriptures are our only rule for faith, what we believe, and practice what we do. So I think that's the, you know, we could talk about a lot of other things, and I'm happy you can ask me anything you want. But I think that's the most important argument for the notion that the gifts have have ceased. At least it's the most important for me. Uh, thanks for laying that groundwork for uh, getting into this topic. Uh, so we just want to follow up with that. Um, we want to ask, um, you know, why doesn't the Bible explicitly tell us that the miraculous gifts will cease? You know, if the Bible is 
in, in errant and infallible, wouldn't it clearly state this, that they're temporary? Yeah, Mark, that's a great question. And, um, and I think, you know, once, once we start doing theology, which is what we're doing right now, once we're thinking 20 centuries down the road of how to apply the scriptures, it's not always simple. Uh, it's not always easy. And uh, so let's, let's think a little bit. I'm happy to hear you respond to this. Let's think a little bit. Why doesn't the Bible say that? Why doesn't the Bible just say, you know, as time passes, the gifts will cease? And I think the answer to that is, I could say more than one thing here, but the first answer is because the Bible wasn't written to us first. Hmm. The Bible was written to the first century readers. So sometimes we come to the Bible and we expect that the Bible is kind of like a systematic theology book, which it gives us all the answers we need. But instead, the way the Bible is inspired, it's sufficient for all matters of faith and practice, which requires interpretation. So it would make very little sense to the first readers who lived during the time that the gifts operated for the apostles to write, oh, by the way, the gifts are going to cease. The first readers would be like, what? What is that? Uh, what do you mean? Yeah. And and, and here's the second thing. Oh, you mean Jesus isn't going to come for a long time? So, so, so all these things you say about Jesus maybe coming at any time, actually, that's not true. Hmm. Jesus, may, Jesus may not come for 50, 100, 200 years. Instead, instead, what the scriptures do is they leave us in attention. Jesus is coming soon. What does soon mean? Well, we're not told. Clearly, the scriptures say, be ready, be alert. Uh, but so my argument is, if the New Testament actually said, well, the gifts are going to last for a long time, then Paul would end up telling the first listeners things that wouldn't have been helpful to them. It wouldn't have been practical for them. So um, did, Paul, did Paul know that history would last 2,000 years? I, my argument is, no, he didn't know that. Did he make any mistakes? No, he didn't make any mistakes. You know, here's another example. Um, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we who live and who remain until Jesus comes again will be snatched up. Now, actually, some critical scholars there argue that Paul made a mistake. I don't know if you've ever heard that, because he says, we who live and remain until Jesus comes again will be snatched up. And then they say, well, Paul didn't live and remain. So he made a mistake. But Honestly, I, that objection that we have an error there doesn't bother me at all because well, God didn't reveal to Paul personally whether he'd lived until the second coming. Hmm. So he gives a general statement. He doesn't know, am I going to die before Jesus comes or am I going to live? Now, maybe he knew it, you know, the last few hours of his life, but he didn't know it when he wrote First Thessalonians. And so he writes a very practical thing. All of us who are alive, we... And, and those who remain until Jesus is coming will be snatched up in the air when Jesus comes. That's not a mistake. Well, I've said a lot of things there. Anything you want to reply to, I'm happy to talk about more. Yeah, I was going to say that I I have never actually heard that response before. And I have to be upfront about, I guess, my uh, leanings in theology. And that's, that is cessationism as well. And uh, I was watching a debate with 
Dr. Michael Brown. He was debating somebody on cessationism versus continuationism. And he kept asking this question, um, why doesn't the Bible tell us that the, that the gifts will cease? If they're going to cease, why doesn't the Bible say that? And I could not, for the life of me, think of a good answer. <laughs> so I until now, yeah, until That's just now. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciate that. That is a that is a really thoughtful answer. Certainly, doesn't, is. doesn't Paul say that prophecy will pass away and tongues will pass away? Yes, I mean, I, I, is that a question you want to ask? Or yeah, I was actually that's that's a good segue, Mark, because I. I'm actually going to read that because we just went through the book of 1 Corinthians, and that's really why we're talking about this topic, because 1 Corinthians is kind of the focal point of the conversation here. Uh, and so I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, and maybe we can uh, expound on it a little bit here. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be restrained. Where there is knowledge, it will be dismissed. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. And so there's, there's a little more to this. Um, and I think uh, generally some cessationists would say that the perfect would be the canon of Scripture. Um, some continuationists would say that the perfect is Jesus coming back. And even I know some cessationists will say that it's Jesus coming back as well. Um, but... Either way, it, it seems to me and to a lot of people that this talks about tongues and prophecy lasting until Jesus comes back. And so I wanted to know your opinion on on that verse, if, if you think the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I think that's clearly the best verse for continuationism. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't agree with those who say that the perfect is the New Testament, is the completion of the canon. Exegetically, I think that argument is pretty weak. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think it's clear in the context that the perfect is when you see Jesus face to face. I, I, I don't think you went on to read that, but is that in verse 12? I don't have my Bible open, but he speaks of a face-to-face -face encounter. So I think the perfect is that he's speaking of there is the second coming. And I think Paul does say that which is partial, that is the spiritual gifts, will last until the second coming. So now I just want to back up and say, what is that paragraph about? What, what is Paul aiming at in, in, in these verses? What he's aiming at is to say, because the Corinthians are really uh, exalting spiritual gifts, especially tongues. And I think Paul's point is this, look, as wonderful as spiritual gifts are, they belong to this present evil age. Mm. They're partial. And, and he compares it in verse 11 to being a child. Uh, uh, when, we're ch when we're children, we think like children, but when we become an adult, we put away childish things. Well, now Paul's not Paul's not dissing spiritual gifts, but he's saying compared to heaven, compared to when the perfect comes, when we will know fully, by the way, that's a big problem for the idea that it's the New Testament, as if when we get the New Testament, we know fully, which is not true, mm. right? We don't know fully. So that's a big problem for the, this is the New Testament view. We don't know fully when the New Testament comes. 
We still know in part. We still see in part. So I think Paul's point is, you know, his pastoral point is, hey, you guys, don't don't overemphasize the spiritual gifts because they're uh, they're great, but they're not the be all and the end all of the Christian life. Don't think you guys have arrived just because you're speaking in tongues or prophesying. You haven't. The arrival is at the second coming. So uh, he, he's doing that because they're, why? Because they're becoming proud, right? So, you know, they're, again, you know, we're just reminded the, these, these books were written for pastoral pragmatic reasons. Obviously, there's great theology there. But it's never separated from what the first readers were experiencing. That, that's why Paul wrote those chapters, because the Corinthians were, were off-center on the spiritual gifts. So then here's my answer to the question. I say, we have to think of what Paul's doing in these verses. And then, look, continuationists disagree with me here, and I respect their view, and I could be wrong. But I would respond by saying this. Do the verses require that the, all the gifts last till the second coming? I don't think it requires that. I don't think these verses finally answer that question. We can only answer a theological question like that by looking at the whole Bible. And I would say, and part of the answer has to be derived by defining what those gifts are. And that, so then I'd come back to my view of prophecy, that it's inerrant and infallible. So, yeah, could, these, could this verse be saying that the gifts all last until the second coming? It certainly could. On first glance, that seems to be what it says. And uh, that could certainly be right. I, that's why I have great respect for my charismatic brothers and sisters. But I'd say when we, look at, when we look at the whole, I don't think Paul's purpose here is to give a definitive statement saying all these gifts will absolutely last to the second coming. And then I return to what I talked about before. That such information would be useless to the Corinthians because they're not going to, they're, they're living in their generation. And secondly, it would even be useless for Paul <laughs> in his particular context, because, because for the Corinthians and Paul, they didn't know how long history would last. Now, I just want to say, when people hear me talk like this, because I've talked about this a lot, I'm not saying Paul got it wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying he's not answering. He's not answering our question there. Why would he be? Why mm. should he be? He's writing to the Corinthians. So, you know, it's a complex question. And the easiest, the easiest answer is, yeah, that's what he's saying. The gifts last until the perfect comes. The perfect is the second coming. That's what it says. That's what it means. That's the way it is. Could be. But I say, when you look at all the data, every doctrine has some difficulties. When you look at all the data, that isn't the most convincing answer. But it's a great, it's a great argument. And uh, that's why, uh, for a number of reasons, that's why for a number of years, I was a continuationist. You know, I, I was convinced, I was convinced by Wayne Grudem, who's a good friend of mine, by the way, and uh, also by John Piper, who was my pastor for 11 years. And both John and Wayne were continuationists. And I taught continuationism based on my understanding of scripture and based on uh, the great interpretive abilities of a Wayne Grudem 
John Piper, I mean, Sam Storms is a good friend. You know, there's others out there and they make a good case. And uh, I, I just freely want to acknowledge that. But when I look at Ev, I, I think that the, to me, their Achilles heel is their view of prophecy. And uh, so, you know, it looks like the whole body works, but they got that problem in the heel and I think it finally kills them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually happy that you gave such a, a great answer. Um, the point of this episode is for people who really never heard of this big word before, have n they don't have any idea about it, and we really want to give clear definitions, and I think you're doing that. But I do want to follow up and ask, what, sure. what are the gifts that are, are, are seized? Which ones are, are here to stay? Which ones are gone? Just so people that don't know this will be just bring clarity to that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great question. I would say the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20. In my view, the, the, the two gifts that have definitely seized are apostleship and prophecy. Those gifts have to do with revelation. Now, what about tongues and miracles and, and healings? I would say the... Now, those don't matter as much. I'm talking about theoretically now. I'm not talking about our everyday lives, of course. You know, if you can get healed, they matter a lot, right? But they don't matter as much theologically because they don't mean, they don't, they don't involve new revelation. So that's my main concern. But, but my personal opinion is I am doubtful and skeptical that tongues, healing, and miracles still exist today as gifts, as spiritual gifts. Now, I do believe, and this is really important, I still believe God can, God heals miraculously today. I believe God can do miracles. My question is, are there people out there with the gift of healing and miracles? By which, I, by which I mean they somewhat regularly exercise that gift of healing and miracles. Now, you know, I'm open on this. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Um, I tend to think those miracles and healings, yeah, they edified and strengthened the early church, but they were given mainly to accredit the revelation given through Jesus Christ. But those gifts could last today. Now, uh, I think many of the other gifts, they continue. The gift of helps, which is, you know, there's always a huge controversy in churches as everybody's clamoring to receive the gift of helps. I'm kidding, right? Yeah. But that's a very practical gift. The gift of helps, service, um, the gift of exhortation or encouragement. I think these gifts continue today. The gift of giving, the gift of teaching, um, you know, I don't have all the gifts just memorized in my head, but um, uh, are there others I'm not thinking of now? Those are the four or five I'm thinking of off the top of my head, so. Okay, and, and I know you mentioned this early earlier on in the interview about the early church fathers and church history, uh, but just to get more of a specific answer, what does church history have to say about the miraculous gifts and were early church fathers cessationists? Well, um, I haven't actually done a lot of work on that, what the early church fathers said. 
So I'm not I, I'm not sure what they said. I'm not sure if they were cessationists. I know I know some of them weren't, but but I'm not surprised because so again, not everybody agrees with this, but I think I think that the gift of prophecy. I don't think the gift of prophecy ended at say 100 A.D. I believe that the gift slowly petered out. So maybe it lasted two, three hundred, four hundred years. Um, because theologically, now here, here's where I agree, all cessationists agree. Why, why did the gifts peter out? Well, well, slowly but surely, we, we got the canon of Scripture, right? But that took time. It took time for these books to be received and accepted and to make their way around the whole Greco-Roman world. So I think those gifts, not apostleship, right? Apostleship ended with the death of the first generation. But I think the other gifts... You know, they operated for some time because they could supplement what was lacking in these churches where they didn't have all the New Testament. That took that took hundreds of years, right? Now, many, many of the books we had very early, right? The Gospels and the Epistles and so forth and so on. But the whole canon coming together, that took a, that took a while. And I think there was this interval where the gifts were operating. So I don't have a date, you know, just slowly they petered out, I think, is what I'd argue. Okay. Okay, Dr. Schreiner, uh, we like to always end with this question of, you know, is sensationism a primary issue for Christians? And are people in the charismatic movement in danger of not being saved? That's a great question, Mark. That's from Mark, right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Is it a primary issue? No, it isn't a primary issue. Um, you know, it's not. We're not talking about the Trinity here. We're not talking about whether Jesus Christ is God. We're not talking about whether Scripture is inspired and infallible and inerrant. So it's it's not a primary issue. I I would say you know if it's not if you think of a threesome, a triage, you know, a one, two, and three. Is I don't think it's a three because say say three is your view of the millennium and the rapture, but I think it's a two. Why do I think it's a two? Because churches have to decide, right? You you have to decide: Are we going to be a tongue speaking church or not? Yeah. You can't. You can't. You, I think it's difficult. I don't know what it means to say you're you're going to be both cessationists and continuationists. But good, yeah, good Christians disagree on this. Who love God and love His Word, yeah. So therefore, no, charismatics are not heretics just because they're charismatic. That's not true. Now, now let me say something though. So there are many, many good charismatics who love God's Word and uh, who belong to the faith. On the other hand, there's a and I'm, I'm going to use an adjective. There's a radical charismatic movement out there that is, uh, teaches a health, wealth gospel, a prosperity gospel that, um, is it heretical? <laughs> I think in some forms it is. Uh, you know, where where's the line between heresy? Uh, hopefully many of these people are saved and trusting in Christ. But, but I think the prosperity gospel, which is aligned with some radical charismatics as a false gospel. So, you know, many charismatics don't believe that prosperity gospel, but but it's also very popular throughout the world. It's the most popular false gospel in the world. And it's popular in the United States too. So, um, 
that that false gospel is often aligned with charismatics. But I say again, many, many charismatics do not subscribe to that movement and are good Bible believing Christians. That's awesome. And yeah, we, we always like to uh, sort of finish theological questions with that question uh, because it is important to remember because it's so easy for people in the church to get divided over secondary or tertiary issues um, when, when we should be more focused on the mission or, you know, whatever, whatever is more important than that. And so we also asked Dr. Grudem uh, a couple weeks ago, we interviewed him as well on continuationism the same question. He says the same thing that uh, continuationists, cessationists, they can all be one. We're all in one church. We all believe in Jesus. That's what's most important. Um, Amen. So it is it's cool hearing that you guys are friends as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, Dwayne's a beloved friend. I've been at his house for dinner. That's great. That's great. That is awesome. Um, so I wanted to ask, finally, if people wanted to learn more about two things, if people wanted to learn more about this topic, if you could recommend some resources, or if people were interested in what you had to say, they think you're an awesome teacher because you clearly are, where they could find some of your resources as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I wrote a book on this called Spiritual Gifts, What They Are and Why They Matter, so they could look at that book. There's a there's a book uh, out for, I think it's four or three views on spiritual gifts. I think that Wayne Grudem or Sam Storms edited that. Mm. I can't remember. That was Dr. Did. Grudem. Yep. That was Grudem. So that's a good resource. Um, you know, supporting my view, uh, Richard Gaffin's little book, Perspectives on Pentecost. That's uh, that's a helpful book. If you want to look at continuationist arguments, Sam Storms, I don't remember the titles, has a number of stuff out there, mm -hmm. books out there. Wayne Grudem, they're, they're both good resources for that. Yeah, my, I mean, I'm, I'm not that much on social media, but I am on, I'm at Dr. Tom Schreiner on Twitter. You know, I post little, these little videos and, you know, you could, you could look at my faculty webpage for things I've written and that sort of thing. And so. we can go to your church website as well to hear your sermons, right? Yes, yes. I actually, though, so I, I stepped down from being the preaching pastor starting 2016. Okay. So I don't, I'm not, so I was, I, I was a preaching pastor for 17 years, 1998 through 2015. But, uh, but you know, go to our church website and listen to John Kimball. He, he preaches awesome sermons. And, and some of my old ones are up there. Yeah. Yeah, I know that <laughs> firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Getting old. Oh man, no, you're <laughs> not, not. At all. not. Not at all. Not no. at all. Well, well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate you. Thank you guys so much. Well, we definitely hope to have you on the show again. That'd be fun. I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Right. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Schreiner. It really has been a huge honor. Yeah, great to be with you, brothers. Have a great day. All right. You as well. You too. Take care.